Today is Tuesday, December 23rd, 2008, and this is Radio Wave. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Radio Wave. In tonight's special, we will be playing the Focus on the Family radio theater production of Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol. And so without delay, we will jump right into the story. Halfway through, there is a short commercial break. And we pray that you will enjoy this beautiful story that has a beautiful message. Marley was dead, dead as a doornail, in fact. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story you're about to hear. It was the England of 1843, a nation caught in the turmoil of the Industrial Revolution, a time which not only created unprecedented overcrowding and poverty in London and England's other larger cities, but put children into horrifying working conditions in the factories. I am David Suchet, your host for Focus on the Family Radio Theatre. In our modern age, We can hardly imagine what it was like to live in early 19th century England, to be, say, five years old and spend 15 to 18 hours a day working in a soot-covered, rat-infested, diseased shop, in rags, without shoes or food, all for a few pennies' wages. But that's exactly how it was for thousands of children then. They lived in an age of new technology and utilitarianism of commerce, of theories and philosophies that had threatened to turn the poor working class into nothing more than flesh and muscle to generate income to the more prosperous. Even holidays, like Christmas, were in danger of becoming extinct as more and more employers refused to give their workers the time off to enjoy the most simple pleasures. Against this backdrop, in the autumn of 1843, A young writer, who had only just reached his thirties, sat down in his study, desperate to get on paper a story that was passionately burning in his heart. The young man had been successful with his early novels, but now suffered a decline in his popularity. His latest work, a novel called Martin Chuzzlewit, hadn't sold very well. 
His earnings were dwindling thanks to a large family and a less than frugal lifestyle. He was anxious to get back into the public's favour, but didn't know how. And his preoccupation with reforming the laws that allowed for the appalling conditions in child labour were a constant distraction. It consumed him. He often visited what were called ragged schools around London, institutions for poor children which barely had the means to help them physically, let alone instruct their minds or inform their souls with teachings of Christianity. He wrote about the little ones he saw and noted that to gain their attention in any way is a difficulty, quite gigantic. To impress them even with the idea of God when their own condition is so desolate becomes a monstrous task. He had been asked to visit similar schools and factories in Manchester to the north, and while there was deeply moved by bright eyes and beaming faces that were threatened by annihilation thanks to their poverty. In his mind, ignorance and want became real living creatures who threatened to devour the children of his country. Somehow he had to tell their story to the public at large, to make everyone see how much the innocent suffered at the hands of greed and indifference. One evening, while walking through the streets of Manchester, an idea came to him. It was so simple an idea as to be profound. He raced back to London and was so possessed by his inspiration that he wept and laughed and wept again and excited himself in a most extraordinary manner in the composition. It was said that he sometimes walked fifteen, even twenty miles a night as he thought through the story's plot and direction. It came to him, all of it, a miserly character, ghostly visitations with a redemptive purpose, and a message about the needs of the poor. He worked all hours of the day and night, refused to see friends, and broke appointments, so that by early November 1843 the work was finished. And so it was that Charles Dickens had written his ghostly little book called A Christmas Carol. Not even the author could have anticipated the life-changing effect its message of Christian love, hope, and responsibility would have on his world, or ours. Join us now as Focus on the Family Radio Theatre proudly presents Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol. Old Marley was dead. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by his sole partner and sole mourner, Ebenezer Scrooge. And Scrooge's name was good upon the London Exchange for anything he chose to put his hand to. Was Scrooge upset by the sad event? No. Scrooge was hard and sharp as flint, secret and self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. The coal within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red and his thin lips blue. External heat and cold had little influence on him. No warmth could warm or wintry weather chill him. Nobody ever stopped him in the street to say hello. No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him what time it was. But what did Scrooge care? It was the very thing he liked, to edge his way along the crowded paths of life, 
warning all human sympathy to keep its distance. It was enough to him that people might say, as he said at Marley's funeral, he was a good man of business. Ah, Mr. Scrooge. Yes, servant, sir. Are you off home to keep Christmas? I'm not in the habit of keeping Christmas, sir. The exchange is not closed. Why are you leaving so early? Because Christmas has a habit of keeping men from doing business. Good day, sir. <laughs> Good day to you, sir. Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name from the sign above their office door. There the sign stood years afterwards, Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people new to the business called Scrooge Scrooge, and sometimes they called him Marley. He answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Out of my way! And stop that blasted racket! Wait! You boy, come here. Yes, sir? You're Samuel Wilkins, boy, aren't you? Yes, sir. Your father owes me twenty pounds and sixpence, I believe. Tell him I will expect payment at my office first thing in the morning. Twenty pounds? Tomorrow? But, sir... Deliver the message if it won't tax your brain too much. But what if he hasn't got it, sir? Tell him he'll have to get it. Tomorrow. But it's Christmas, sir. What does Christmas have to do with it? He'd still owe me the money if we were in the middle of an August bank holiday. Now, be off with you. Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge returned to his counting house and his clerk, Bob Cratchit. Mr. Scrooge, you're back early, sir. I suspect this is the only place where I'll get any work done. Why are you dressed like that, sir? In your coat and scarf. Are you leaving? No, sir. The fire is dying, sir, and I didn't have a key to your office to get more coal. More coal? I gave you as much coal as you'll have today. If you can't make do with that, then perhaps you'll appreciate employment elsewhere. Oh, no, sir. No, I'm sorry I brought the matter up, sir. Oh, my. Now, get back to work, if it isn't too much to ask. Yes, sir. Right, sir. Oh, good evening, Bob, and Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, Master Freight. How are you? And that family of yours, are you well? Oh, yes, sir. Quite well, sir. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Who is keeping my clerk from his duties? Oh, better go and see Uncle. A Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Ah, humbug. Oh, you don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. What right have you to be merry? You're poor enough. <laughs> what right have you to be dismal? You're rich enough. Humbug. Oh, don't be cross, Uncle. Well, what else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this? Merry Christmas, indeed. If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Uncle! Nephew, keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. But you don't keep it. Well, let me leave it alone, then. Much good may it do you. Much good has it ever done you. Much good, indeed. Well, perhaps it doesn't profit me in the way you think of profit, but I'm sure I've always thought of Christmas as a time doing me much good. Yes, it's a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. Yeah. It's the only time I know of in the long year when men and women seem by one consent... 
to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people around them as if they really were fellow passengers on a sacred journey and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. Yeah. And therefore, Uncle, though it's never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that Christmas has done me good and will do me good. And so I say God bless it. Another sign from you, Bob Cratchit. And you'll keep your Christmas by losing your employment. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, sorry, sir. You're quite a powerful speaker, nephew. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. <laughs> don't be cross. Come tomorrow and dine with us. I will not. Well, why won't you? Why? Why did you get married? Oh, because I fell in love. You fell in love. If there's one thing in the world more ridiculous than Christmas, it's falling in love. Good afternoon. But you never came to see me before that happened. Why give it as a reason now? Good afternoon. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why can't we be friends? Good afternoon. Oh, I'm sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute. We've never had any quarrel to which I've been a party. But I've come here to wish you a Merry Christmas, and that is what I will do. Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. <laughs> and a Happy New Year. Good afternoon! Merry Christmas, Bob. Merry Christmas, You're another one. A clerk making 15 shillings a week with a wife and family talking about a Merry Christmas. I must be going mad. Marley's, I believe. Uh, that is correct, sir. Oh, what now? Good afternoon. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead for seven years. He died seven years ago this very night. We have no doubt that his generosity is well represented by his surviving partner. What do you want? At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at this present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessities. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts. Are there no prisons? There are plenty of prisons. And the workhouses, are they still in operation? They are, though I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigour, then? Both very busy, sir. I'm comforted. I was afraid, from what you said at first, that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course. I'm very glad to hear it. Sir, under the belief that they scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind or body, a few of us are endeavouring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. Ah, we choose this time because it is a time when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing. You wish to remain anonymous? I wish to be left alone, since you ask me what I wish. I don't make myself merry at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there. And many would rather die. Well, if they would rather die, they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. <laughs> Besides, it's none of my business. Isn't it? It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. You, my good man, have our deepest sympathy. Oh, uh, and Merry Christmas to you, sir. <laughs> 
humbug. You see, Cratchit, the entire day wasted away. And for what? Oh, it's all humbug. Your coat, sir. I suppose you'll want the whole day off tomorrow. Well, if quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient. And it's not fair. If I was to stop you half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used. And yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay your day's wages for no work. It's only once a year, sir. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Oh, I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier next morning. Oh, yes, sir. You're very generous, sir. It's a weakness of mine. Good evening. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern, and having read all the newspapers and beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's book, went home to bed. He lived in the gloomy chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner. The yard was so dark, the fog and frost so hung about the black old gateway of the house, that Scrooge, who knew its every stone, was fain to grope with his hands. Now, it is a fact that there was nothing at all particular about the knocker on the door of that house, except that it was very simple-looking, not ornate at all, and rather large. It is also a fact that Scrooge had seen it night and morning during his whole residence in the place. So, let anyone try to explain how it happened that Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, saw not the normal design of a knocker, but instead he saw the face of Jacob Marley. Scrooge. Uh, what? What's that? Scrooge. It's, it's nonsense. Utter nonsense. It was not Scrooge's habit to double lock the doors, but he did so anyway. Thus, secured against surprise, he changed into his dressing gown, nightcap and slippers and sat down in front of a meagre fire for his gruel. Humbug! What's that? Oh, oh no! What? What's... What's... Oh dear! Yeah, yeah. It's humbug still. I won't believe it. No. No. Who's there? What do you want? Scrooge. How now? What do you want with me? Much. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Ha! You don't believe in me. I don't. What evidence would you have of my reality? Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheats. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. Look, there's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. <laughs> do you see this toothpick? I have but to swallow this, 
and be for the rest of my days persecuted by a legion of goblins at all of my own creation. Ah, yeah, humbug, humbug, I tell you. Humbug! Man of the worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? Oh, yes, I do, I do, I do, I must, I must. Mercy, mercy. Dreadful apparition. Why, why do you walk the earth? And why do you trouble me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide to assist in charity and do good. If that spirit goes not forth in life, then it is condemned, doomed to wander the world in death, unable to share what it might have shared on earth to bring happiness. But why are you fettered in chains? I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it. Link by link and yard by yard, fashioned by my own free will. And of my own free will, I wore it. Be warned, Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh-huh. You do not know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself. It was full and heavy and as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. Oh, Jacob, old friend. Speak comfort to me. I have none to give. It must come from other regions, conveyed by other ministers. What? But mark me. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole. And a weary journey now waits before me. No rest, no peace. Incessant torture of remorse for life's opportunities missed. But you were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business? Mankind should have been my business. The common welfare should have been my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence, all should have been my business. What? Oh, man, blind man, you know not how short life is. <laughs> At this time of year, I I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? What? Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Oh, hear me! My time is nearly gone. I will, I will. Uh, But don't be hard upon me, Jacob. I am here tonight to warn you that you may have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. Yes. You will be visited by three spirits. Are they the chance and hope of which you spoke? They are. In that case, I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. But, Jacob... Expect the first when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and get it over with? Expect the second and third thereafter. Look to see me no more. And look that for your own sake you remember what is past between us. Marley, Marley, wait, wait. Don't leave me. Tell me, please tell me more about the spirits. Jacob! What? Mm, what? Uh, oh. Oh. A dream. 
it must have been a dream. Oh, the chimes. Did he say one o'clock? Ebenezer Scrooge. Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? Your past. Oh, spirit, why are you so bright to my eyes? Can you cover yourself to dim your light? Would you so soon put out with worldly hands the light I give? Is it not enough that you are one of those whose passions would extinguish my light completely? No, I meant no offense, spirit. What um, business brings you here? Your welfare. Take heed. Rise and walk with me. Walk with you? Out of the window? Are you afraid? Well, I am mortal and liable to fall. Bear but a touch of my hand, and you shall be upheld in more than this. Heavens! Tommy! David! Charlie! Do you know those children? Of course I knew them. I went to school with them. Why didn't they stop? They couldn't see you. Huh? These are but shadows of the things that have been. They have no consciousness of us. But uh... You remember the way to your school? Remember it? I could walk it blindfolded. It's right over there, beyond that hill. So it is. Huh. It stands deserted, but for a solitary child neglected by his friends, he is left there still. I know. While I was thus looking on them, I perceived two miserable creatures dragged from their boats. I see him. It's me. But you were not completely alone, Ebenezer. You had your book. Through whose company I had legions of playmates. There was Ali Baba and the Genie and Orson, and Robinson Crusoe and his parrot and Friday and... Oh, you poor boy. Poor boy. It makes me wish... Ah, oh, it's too late now. What is the matter? Oh, nothing. Nothing. There was a boy... Singing a Christmas carol at my door last night, I should like to have given him something, that's all. Let us see another Christmas. Turn and see Ebenezer the boy become Ebenezer the young man. Ebenezer! Freddy! Oh, my dear, dear brother! Oh, I've come to bring you home. Home? Yes, home. Home, home, forever and ever. Father is so much kinder than he used to be, and home is, is now like heaven. Is it, Franny? Yes. Father spoke so gently to me one dear night when I was going to bed that I was not afraid to ask him once more if, if you might come home. And he said, yes, you should. So he sent me in the coach to bring you. And you're never to come back here. But you'll stay all through Christmas, and we'll have the merriest time in the world. Oh, Franny! I wish I could believe you. Believe me, dear brother. 
I've made all the arrangements. <laughs> You've turned into quite a young woman, haven't you, Franny? I have. <laughs> now, let's see to your things. Come on, Ebenezer. I'm coming, my dear sister. I'm coming. Your sister was a delicate creature whom a breath might have withered. But she had a large heart. So she had. She died a woman and had, as I think, one child. Your nephew, Fred. She died giving him life. True. Just as your mother died giving you life. Yes. What's that? Open the door and we shall see another Christmas past. Oh. We must have the shutters up before I go and say Jack Robinson. Clear away the floor, my lads. Let's have the Bless my soul. It's old Fezziwig. It's Fezziwig alive again. This is familiar to you? I was apprenticed here. We'll have the cakes. Cakes over there. The roast beef on that table. No, that table. Mince pies. No, mince pies here. Here. And the punch. Oh, we mustn't forget the punch. Oh, Ebenezer. Yes, sir. Open the doors, my boy. Let the guests in. Yes, sir. Yes, it's time for a party. No one could celebrate Christmas like Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig. Dick and I stayed up half the night talking about Fezziwig's Christmas gatherings. Was there ever a kinder man? It is a small matter to make you so full of gratitude. Small? He has spent only a few pounds of your mortal money. Three or four, perhaps. Is that so much that he deserves your praise? Oh, it is that. He had the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil. The happiness he gave was quite as great as if it had cost him a fortune. What's the matter? Nothing particular. Something, I think. No, I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now, that's all. My time grows short. Quick. Quick? See yourself during another Christmas, Ebenezer. Only now, you are in love. Oh. It's only a shilling ring, Belle. But one day it'll be a gold one, when I'm rich enough. It's a beautiful ring. Oh, but I mustn't accept it. Why not? Because it's not good enough for you. No. Because I'm not rich enough for you. How foolish of you. Of course not. But you're still so young. You may have a change of heart one day. Dearest Belle, if ever I have a change of heart, it's because my heart has ceased to beat. And it makes no difference that I am poor? I love you because you're poor, not proud and foolish. Will you always feel like that? As long as I live, longer, forever and ever. Then I accept your ring. Belle. <laughs> oh, Ebenezer. God bless you, Belle. I've seen enough. Yet more awaits you. I will not look. You shall. Ebenezer, my lad. Yes, Mr. Fezziwick? I'd like you to meet the accountant from the new owners. Allow me to introduce you to Mr. Jacob Marley. Mr. Jacob Marley, Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge. Your servant, Mr. Marley. 
Your servant, Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Marley will be assisting us in the transition of assets to the new owners. Alas, Ebenezer, it is all undone. Don't be downhearted, Mr. Fezziwig. You resisted their offers longer than could be expected of any man. I should have resisted longer. Until my death, I believe. With all due respect, Mr. Fezziwig, my company made you a most generous bargain. Oh, indeed they did, young man. But it isn't for money that one spends a lifetime building up a business. If it isn't, then I would enjoy the education of finding out what you do spend a lifetime building a business for. It is to preserve a way of life that one knew and loved. Now I fear this is the end of small traders like me. It is the age of the machine and factories and vested interests. But the deal is done, sir. Yes, it is. The deal is done. So, if you'll pardon me, gentlemen, I'll leave you to get acquainted. Tell me, Mr. Scrooge, do you agree with your former employer? I think I know what Mr. Fezziwig means. Oh? Are you also against progress and money? No, I'm not against them, sir. But I believe we must move cautiously into this new age and... Weigh carefully its costs to humanity. Move too cautiously and carefully, my friend, and the age will leave you behind. Suppose I told you that my company can afford to pay you twice the salary Mr. Fezziwig pays you. An advancement he could never have afforded to offer you. What would you say to that? Well, I'd still say that money isn't everything. <laughs> if it isn't, I don't know what is. The future belongs to our generation, Mr. Scrooge. To those who are strong and prepared to make changes by whatever means necessary. Wouldn't you agree? I see the world is becoming a very hard and cruel place. One must steel oneself to survive it. Yes. Yes. I believe we have many things in common, Mr. Scrooge. You're not a fool. And if you're willing to learn from me, I believe we'll go very far. Very far indeed. Mr. Scrooge, thank you for coming. She's my sister and she sent for me. What else would I do? May I see her now? Yes, but please try not to excite her. Well, of course not, Doctor. Thank you. No, Spirit. Not here. Yes. Here. Fran. Ebenezer. I sent for you. Promise me. Promise you what, Fran? I'd promise you anything, dearest. Only there isn't any need for promises. You're going to get well again. No. You are. You must. You're going to get well again. Do you understand? You're going to get well. No. Dear brother, I'm going to die. No, Fran. Don't say such nonsense. You're not going to die. You're going to get well again. You must get well. Mr. Scrooge, please. What kind of doctor are you? Filling her head with the idea of death. She isn't going to die. Tell her she isn't. Mr. Scrooge, I must ask you to leave. Please, for her sake. But she this is going to way. die. Not for him. She cannot. Spirit, how could you have brought me here? Have you no mercy, no pity? 
Ebenezer. Dear, dear brother, promise me, promise me that you'll take care of my boy. Promise me that you'll take care of... <sighs> you heard her. Forgive me, Fran. Please, forgive me. Please, please, forgive me. There it is, old boy. The offices of Scrooge and Marley. Come, let's drink a toast. Yes, a toast. The fools didn't know what hit them. Imagine thinking they could get the better of us in a deal. <laughs> the wizards of the accounts. <laughs> We've come a long way from old Fezziwigs, haven't we? From the holders of the purse to the keepers. Long may it prosper. Long and heavy may it grow. I give you Mr. Jacob Marley Esquire. I give you Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge Esquire. The future is ours. And all the money we can hope to take from it. <laughs> it matters little, Ebenezer. To you, very little. No, spirit. Why do you delight to torture me? You will watch. Ebenezer, another idol has displaced me. And if it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. Look, I don't know what you're talking about, Belle. All your hopes have merged into the hope of wealth. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion gain oh. engrosses you. You are consumed by it. Look, there is nothing on which the world is so hard as poverty, and there is nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much. What of it? Even if I have grown wiser in my understanding of the world, what then? I'm not changed towards you. You are. Oh, Belle. Our contract is an old one. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so until in due time we could improve our fortune by our patient industry. You are changed. When it was made, you were another man. I was a boy. There. Your own feeling tells you that you are not what you were. I am. That which promised happiness when we were one in heart is fraught with misery now that we are two. Oh. How often and how keenly I have thought of this, I will not say. It is enough that I have thought of it, and can now release you from our engagement. I have not sought your release, have I? In words, no, never. Well, in what then? In a changed nature, in an altered spirit, in another hope, in everything that made my love of any worth or value in your sight. If we had not made this promise when we were young, would you seek me out, a dowerless girl, and try to win me now? Well, you think not? I would 
gladly think otherwise if I could. Ebenezer, if for a moment you were false enough to your one guiding principle of gain to marry me, do I not know that your repentance and regret would surely follow? I do. So I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. As you wish. You may have pain in this. A very, very brief time and you will dismiss the recollection of it gladly as an unprofitable dream oh. from which it happened well that you awoke. <sighs> may you be happy in the life you have chosen. Spirit, remove me from this place. I told you, these were the shadows of things that have been. That they are what they are, do not blame me. Cannot bear it any more. Take me back. We have another shadow. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity. I am nothing. My dear Belle. Yes, Charles. The soup is ready in the kitchen, and another three families have arrived. The children were without shoes, and the mothers need your counsel. I'll continue the scripture reading here. Of course. Do you mind, Mrs. Beadnell? No, child, no. I won't keep you. You have more to fret over than a crippled old woman. I would hope the Reverend is able to read scripture with some skill by now. I'll do my best. You rest now, Mrs. Beadnell. Thank you. Oh, Belle? Yes, darling? I've been meaning to tell you I saw an old friend of yours this afternoon. Who was it? Mr. Scrooge. Oh. I passed his office window, and as it was the only one not shut up for Christmas, I could see him inside. I understand his partner lies upon the point of death, and there he sat alone. Quite alone in the world, I do believe. Yes, alone. I'll go to see to those families. Thank you, my love. Now, where were we? Angels, Reverend. And I don't mind saying that your wife is one. Bless her heart, Reverend. Bless her heart. Come in. Uh, Mr. Scrooge, sir? Yes, what is it? Bad news, I'm afraid, sir. Yeah? Uh, Mr. Marley succumbed to his illness only moments ago, sir. Uh, I'm sorry to tell you, he, he's dead, sir. Hmm. Uh, Mr. Scrooge? What is it, Cratchit? Well, uh, the, the, the undertaker has asked that you sign the death register, sir. The undertaker will have to wait. The business of the day is not concluded until seven o'clock, and at seven o'clock I will deal with the matter. Yes, sir. Uh, right, sir. Um, I, I, I'm sure they won't mind waiting with the body until then, sir. That's what they're paid to do. I'm sure they won't. Now, back to work with you. Uh, yes, sir. Jacob Marley worked at your side for over 20 years. He was the only friend you ever had. 
But what did you feel when you signed the register of his burial and took his money, his house, and his few mean sticks of furniture? Did you feel pity for him? Did you feel remorse? What was on your mind, you squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner? No more, no more, spirits! Haunt me no longer, do you hear me? Haunt me no longer! Spirit? What's happened to you, spirit? Where's your light? Spirit! Spirit! Oh, oh, oh. Oh, my bed. I'm back. I'm back. The nightmare is over. Adam was told by God to name all the animals. Adam spoke words which he did not learn from an earthly father because he was not born of man. That means that Adam received the gift of language from his heavenly father. Therefore, language is from God, whose very son, the second person of the Trinity, was named the Word. Language was given to man as the means to conceptualize who God is within our own mind and soul. In order to understand what our Founding Fathers believed and meant by their words, it is necessary to understand the definitions of those words, especially from that time. The Webster's Dictionary of 1828, compiled by Noah Webster, one of 250 Founding Fathers of the United States, is complete in its meaning and definitions. It will help you to understand the true meaning of our nation and why we must look back at what the definition of words as the founders understood and meant them in order for us to understand our Declaration of Independence, Constitution, Law, and our founding. During this nation's first century and a half, it was known throughout America that the second most important book after the Bible was the Dictionary. Every home must have one, a lifetime beautiful Christmas gift. Order the Webster's Dictionary of 1828 on medj.com, spelled M-E-J.com, and click on MedgeMart, or by calling in the U.S. 205-672-2000. You're listening to Radio Wave with a friend of Medjugorje. Ebenezer Scrooge lay upon his bed as a blaze of ruddy light streamed upon him. He was powerless to make out what it meant. He eventually discerned that the light might be in the adjoining room. This idea taking full possession of his mind, he got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. The moment his hand was on the lock, a voice called out. Scrooge! 
Scrooge obeyed and walked into the room. It was his own room, there was no doubt about that, but it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked like a perfect grove from every part of which bright gleaming berries glistened. The crisp leaves of holly, mistletoe and ivy reflected back the light as if so many little mirrors had been scattered there. Such a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney and heaped up upon the floor to form a kind of throne where turkeys, geese, game, poultry, great joints of meat, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. On this throne sat a jolly giant, glorious to see, dressed in a deep green robe bordered with white fur. His dark brown curls were long and free, free as his genial face, his sparkling eyes, and his joyful air. He bore a glowing torch, in shape not unlike a horn of plenty, and held it up high to shed its light on Scrooge as he came peeping round the door. Come in, come in. I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. You've never seen the like of me before. Never. And you have never walked forth with the other members of my family in years past? Well, I, I don't think I have. How many of you are there? Over 1,800. Oh, such a large family to care for. I, I, I don't know how I miss such a large gathering each Christmas. Mortal, we spirits of Christmas do not live on only the one day of the year. We live the entire 365. So is it true of the babe born in Bethlehem. He does not live in the hearts of men just one day of the year, but in all the days of the year. You have chosen not to seek him in your heart. Therefore, you will come with me and seek him in the hearts of men of goodwill. Spirits, conduct me where you will. And if you have a desire to teach me, then let me profit by it. Touch my robe. Oh, uh, uh, if you insist. <laughs> Look, by never venturing out on this blessed day, see the joyful activity you have missed and the wondrous humanity you have avoided. Even under this soot-filled sky, Christmas cheer abounds like the clearest summer's day. The ruddy-cheeked children throwing snowballs, the women bustling to the bakers with their Christmas dinners, the grocers giving up the last of their fruits and meats before closing their shutters, and all good people dressed in their best clothes making their way to church and chapel with the gayest faces you will ever set your eyes upon. Look at them, man. Yes, I, I, I see. But, um, your torch. What of it? Well, the way you pass it over the people. Is it a particular kind of incense? It is. My own. Oh, is it useful to the people on this day? It is useful to those who have the hearts to receive it. To poor hearts, mostly. 
Why to a poor heart most? Because it needs it most. Ah, here is a house that would benefit from as much as I dare offer from my torch. Well, whose house is this you favor over others? Do you not recognize it? No. Should I? It belongs to your clerk, Bob Cratchit. Does it? Watch. Oh, Mother, I could smell the goose at the baker's. It was ours. I know it was. Oh, I could almost taste the sage and onion. <laughs> I think these potatoes are almost done, ready to be peeled. Well, I'll, I'll mash them while you run and get the goose, will you, Peter? Yes, Mother. Oh, wherever is your father and Tiny Tim, then? And Martha wasn't this late last Christmas Day. Here's Martha, Mother. Oh, oh I'm so sorry. Oh, Martha, you should see the goose. Oh, bless your heart alive, my dear, how late you are. Oh, we had a deal of work to finish up last night and had to clear away this morning. Well, never mind, as long as you've come, I sit you down before the fire, my dear, and have a warm Lord blessing. Here come Father and Tim. Here they are. Hello, everyone. Oh, hello. Oh, Martha, you are here after all. Hello, Father. Hello, Hello Tim. I'm so glad to see you, Martha. It wouldn't have been Christmas if you hadn't come. No, no. Tim, you must come into the washhouse to hear the puddings singing in the oh, copper. Oh, yes, yes, you must. I'd like that very much. Then come along. Yes, yes, hurry. Hurry along. Careful. And how did little Tim behave in church? Oh, as good as gold and better. Somehow, you know, he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much, and he thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me, coming home, that he hoped the people saw him in the church, because he was a cripple, and it might be pleasant for him to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. I believe he's growing stronger, you know, and more hearty. Don't you think so, my dear? I pray that it's so, Robert. You do your duty and make the punch. Right you are, my dear. Tell me, spirit, will the lame boy live? I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner and a crutch without an owner carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no, kind spirit. Say he will be spared. Spared? If he be like to die, he had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Look, everyone, be still. Your father wants to speak. My dear, I don't believe there ever was such a marvellous goose cook. Oh, thank you. And the pudding. Oh, it's perhaps the greatest success achieved since our marriage. Well, I, I, I confess I had my doubts about the quantity of flour. Oh, an unnecessary worry, my love. And now, now I'd like to make... An important announcement. Oh. oh, about you, Master Peter. Master Peter? Me, Father? Yes, you. 
I have my eye on a situation for you which would bring in, if obtained, a full five and sixpence weekly. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I hope he'd have a good appetite for it. Now, my dear, the children, Christmas Day. Which should be Christmas Day, I'm sure, on which one drinks a health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man as Mr Scrooge. Now, my... you, you know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you do, poor fellow. My dear, please, Christmas Day. Well, I'll drink his health. For your sake and the days. Not for his. Long life to him. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I've no doubt. Mr. Scrooge! Do not turn away, Ebenezer Scrooge. Look closely at this scene and let it be stamped indelibly upon your heart. They are not a handsome family. They are not well-dressed. Their shoes are far from being waterproofed. Their clothes are scanty, but they are happy, grateful, pleased with one another, and contented with the time. The blessings of God are larger and greater than anything you can fit in your purse. Remember what you see here and throughout homes everywhere on this day. I will, Spirit. Ah, but this is not the only place where you are being thought of. Oh. <laughs> Come. No, no, honestly, he said that Christmas was a humbug. And as I live, he believed it, too. Well, more shame for him, Fred. Oh, no, no, Alice, don't be like that. He's a strange old fellow, and I've nothing to say against him. I mean, consider his state. Now, more wealth than most, but it's no use to him. He doesn't make himself more comfortable, nor even has the satisfaction that he'll ever benefit us with it. <laughs> oh, don't go on. I've no patience with him. Oh, I have. Oh, no, I'm sorry for him. I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Now, look, who suffers by his ill whims? Himself, always. Here, he takes it into his head to dislike us, and he won't come and dine with us. Well, what's the consequence? He doesn't lose much of a dinner, perhaps. Oh, oh I think he loses a very good dinner. Yes, it was an excellent dinner. Was it? Well, I'm very glad to hear you think so, because, frankly, I haven't any great faith in these young housekeepers. What do you say, Chopper? Oh, I'm afraid that as a bachelor I'm a wretched outcast and haven't the right to express an opinion on the subject. <laughs> do I, my dear, distant, immovable Jane? <laughs> Mr Chopper, you are incorrigible. <laughs> oh, do finish what you're saying, Fred, so we can get on with the game. Oh, of course. All right, all right. No, I was only going to say, the consequences of my uncle taking a dislike to us, not making merry with us here, well, I think he loses some very pleasant moments. 
which could do him no harm. Certainly better for him than he'd find in his mouldy old office or dusty old chambers. So I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not. For I pity him. You know, he may rail against Christmas until he dies, but he can't help thinking better of it if he finds me going there in good temper year after year and saying, Uncle Scrooge, how are you? A Merry Christmas to you! Well, if it only puts him in the vein to leave his poor clock a few extra pounds, then that's something. So, come on, raise your glasses one and all to my Uncle Ebenezer Scrooge! Yes, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to the old man. Now, let's play some games. Right. <laughs> Do you see? From one end of the city to the other, you are thought of in spite of yourself. Do you see yet the wondrous workings of this time of Christmas? Its sacred name and origin are not lost on those hearts open to receive its founder. From the darkest moor where miners work the deep earth, to the solitary lighthouse where a lonely keeper listens to the waves crash against the rocks, out to sea, yes, even out to sea, where a helmsman remembers some bygone Christmas day as he guides his ship through the foamy brine, then back again to land, to sick beds, almshouses, hospitals, and jails. They know me. Most of all, they know me in misery's every refuge, where vain man in his petty authority has not bolted the door and barred me out. The blessing of Christmas is there. And through Christmas, Christ himself. Ah, but this day is so brief, and I must go. Wait, wait, Spirit. Uh, forgive me if I'm not justified in what I ask, but I see something strange, uh, not belonging to yourself, protruding from the bottom of your robe. Uh, is it a foot or a claw? It might be a claw, for the flesh there is so slight upon it. Look down here, old man. Oh! Oh! What are they? Savages? Animals of some strange origin? They are children. Children? But... Spirit, are they yours? They are man's. And they cling to me in desperation. This boy is ignorance. This girl is want. Beware them both, and all of their degree, but most of all, Beware this boy ignorance, for on his brow I see that written which is doom. Doom! Unless the writing be erased. But have they no refuge? No resource? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? Are there no Scrooge looked about him for the ghost, and saw it not. As the last stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the promise of old Jacob Marley, and lifting his eyes, beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a grave silent mist along the ground towards him. Scrooge bent down upon his knee, 
for in the very air through which this spirit moved, it seemed to spread gloom and mystery. I... I... Am I in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come? You are. You are about to show me shadows of the things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. Is that so, spirit? It is as you say. Oh, ghost of the future. I fear you more than any specter I've seen. So you should. But I believe, I must believe that your purpose is to do me good. I am prepared to bear you company. Come. The night is waning fast. Lead on, spirit. Lead on. Oh, well, I don't know much about it either way. All I know is that he's dead. When did he die? Well, last night, I believe. <laughs> what was the matter with him? I thought he'd never die. So did he, I suspect. And what's he done with his money? Well, I haven't heard. Left it to his company, perhaps. Hasn't left it to me, that's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's likely to be a cheap funeral. For my life, I don't know if anybody will go to it. Suppose we made up a party and volunteer. Well, I suppose we could. When I come to think of it, I'm not at all sure that I wasn't his best friend. <laughs> for we used to stop and speak whenever we met. Mm. Look, I don't mind going if lunch is provided, but I must be fed if I'm going to take the time. Absolutely. I know those gentlemen. They're men of business. I don't understand. Who are they talking about? Jacob died years ago. Odd. Someone is standing in my spot under the clock. Why do you look at me so, spirit? What am I to learn from this? Oh. Oh. What is this foul place? Um, come in, come in. Oh, there are three of you. Hello there, Joe. Joseph. Look here, old Joe. What's mm. the chance of the cleaning lady, the laundress and the undertaker showing up at the same time without meaning to? <laughs> what odds, Mrs. Dilbury? <laughs> and you couldn't have come to a better place. You are no strangers to Joe's pawn shop. So come into the parlour while I shut the door. <laughs> <laughs> come into the parlour, eh? <laughs> Well, who should go first? Well, let's not be afraid. We're not going to pick holes in each other's coats. No, I should hope not. Every person has a right to take care of themselves. He always did. That's true indeed. No man more. Very well, then. That's enough. Who's the worst for the loss of a few things like these? <laughs> not a dead man, I suppose. <laughs> no, indeed. If he wanted to keep them after he was dead, the wicked old screw, why didn't he marry and have a family? Then he'd have had somebody to look after him when he was struck with death, instead of lying, gasping out his last there, alone, by himself. It's yeah, the truest yeah. word that ever was spoke. It's a judgment on him. I wish it was a little heavier judgment. And it would have been if I could have laid my hands on anything else. Mm, <laughs> right. Open, open that bundle, Joe. Yeah. 
let me know the value of it. Mm. Now, speak up, plain. I'm not afraid to be the first. We knew we'd help ourselves to whatever he had. It's no sin. Now, open, open my bundle, Joe. I'll go first, just to show we have trust in one another. Mm. Go on, then. Now, watch, fob, pencil case, sleeve buttons, oh, and a brooch. Yes. Well, I'll give you eight shillings for the lot. Well, that's your account, and I wouldn't oh. give you another sixpence, not if I was to be boiled alive for not doing it. Yeah. Who's next? I'll go. Here you are. Let's see. Sheets, towels, silver teaspoons, a pair of sugar tongs, new boots, assorted. Seventeen and six. Joe! Yeah, when I always give too much to the ladies, it's a weakness of mine. That's the way I ruin myself. But oh. Joe! Yeah, that's your account. If you asked me for another penny and made it an open question, I'd repent of being so liberal and knock off half a crown. Hmm. And now, undo my bundle, Joe. Now, what have we here? Bed curtains. Aye. Bed curtains. You don't mean to say you took them down, rings and all, with him a lion there? Yes, I do. Why not? <laughs> you were born to make your fortune, Mom, and you will certainly do it. <laughs> I shan't hold my hand back when I can reach it out and get anything like these. Not for the sake of such a man as he was. Now, you mind those blankets? His blankets? Whose else, do you think? He isn't likely to take cold without them, I dare say. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he didn't die of anything catchy. Don't you be afraid of that. I wasn't so fond of his company that I'd loiter about him if he did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you may look through yeah. that shirt to your eyes, Ake. You won't find a hole in it. It's the best he had, and a fine one, too. Yes, yes. He'd have wasted it if it hadn't been for me. And what do you mean by wasting it? He'd have buried him in it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. oh this, this is the end of it. He frightened everyone away from him when he was alive to profit us when he was dead. <laughs> Spirit, this is a horror, an outrage. I know those two women, they're in my employ. But what have they to do with... Oh, I see. I see. The case of this unhappy man of whom they speak might be my own. My life tends that way now, and I... Merciful heaven, spirits, what's this? Oh, help me, spirit, for it's dark, but I... I see... Yes, I see it. Something under the sheet. See to it, Ebenezer Scrooge. It's a dead body. But why have you brought me to see it? Why? Lift the sheet, Scrooge. No. Oh, need I look upon this poor man to learn my lesson? I understand, you spirit. This is the man of whom they spoke. I see that it must... It must be cold and lifeless there. Lift the sheet, Scrooge. I cannot do it. No, Spirit, this is a fearful place. In leaving it, I shall not leave its lesson, trust me. Let us go. Lift 
the sheet, Scrooge. Look upon the man. I, I will. I will look upon the man, Spirit. But I beseech you, let me first see if there's any person in this town who feels emotion caused by this man's death. Will you show it to me? Then perhaps I may look upon this pitiable corpse with true understanding. Please, please, spirit, I beseech you. Your father will be home soon and... Oh! Hello, my dear. Is it good or bad? Bad, I'm afraid. We are quite ruined? No. There is hope yet, Caroline. If he relents, there is. Nothing is past hope if such a miracle has happened. He is past relenting. He is dead. Oh, John, tell me everything. I went to see him, as you know, to obtain a week's delay on the repayment of our loan. The half-drunken cleaning woman would not let me in, saying he was not well. I was convinced his illness was a mere excuse not to see me, so I insisted. However, it turns out she was telling the truth. He was not only very ill, but dying even then. To whom will our debt be transferred? I don't know, but before then, we shall be ready with the money. His death has given us the time we need, and I cannot believe his successor will be as merciless as he was. We may sleep tonight with light hearts, Caroline. May God forgive me for rejoicing at the passing of any creature. But I thank him, John. I thank him. Pleasure? Is that the only emotion you can show me over that man's death? Is there no tenderness? Is there no pity? Is the future so bleak that a, a man dies and no one feels sorrow? Spirit, assure my heart that the future is not filled with people so unsympathetic and cold. Show me tenderness, I beg you. Mine eyes unto the hills. I know this from house. Cometh my it's help. Bob Cratchit's. My help cometh even from the Lord, who hath made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved, and he that keepeth thee will not sleep. Oh, shall I stop reading, Mother? No, Peter. I'm sorry. It's it's the sewing. The the black colour hurts my eyes. I, it makes them weep by candlelight, and I. I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home, not for the world. It must be near his time. Past it, rather. But I think he has walked a little slower than he used, these few last evenings. I've known him walk. I have known him walk very fast, with Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Very fast indeed. Oh, and so have I. Often. And so have I. Yeah, often. But he was very light to carry, and his father loved him so that it was no trouble. No trouble. Oh, and there is your father at the door. Oh, good evening. Oh, I see you're all here. And by the fire. Oh, what a blaze it is. I'll make some tea. Oh, my dear. Oh, you've made such progress. Your industry and speed are to be commended. Why, you'll be done long before... before Sunday. Sunday. You went today, then, Robert, to where his little grave will be? Yes, yes, my dear, I did. I, 
I wish you could have gone. It would have done you good to see how green a place it is. But you'll see it often. I promised him that I'd walk there of a Sunday. Darling Tim. Oh, Robert. It's all right. All right, my dear. I'm reckoning something to it. I truly am. Come on, come on. Now we mustn't be down. Why, it reminds me of, of today when, when I received a most extraordinary kindness from Mr. Scrooge's nephew, who I'd scarcely seen, oh, but once or twice at the office. He observed that I looked a little down and inquired what had happened to distress me. On which, for he's the pleasantest spoken gentleman you ever heard, I told him about our Tim. I'm heartily sorry for it, Mr Cratchit, he said, and heartily sorry for your good wife. How kind. And then he went on to say that if he could be of service in any way, to call on him at his own. And he'd give me his card. Pray come to me, he said. Now, it wasn't for the sake of anything he might be able to do for us, so much as for his kind way that this was so thoughtful. It really seemed as if he'd known our tiny Tim and felt with us in our loss. I'm sure he's a good soul. Mm. You'd be sure of it if you met him, my dear. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if he found Peter a better situation. You hear that, Peter? And then Peter will court a girl and set himself up like a proper gentleman. <laughs> Get on with you, Belinda. <laughs> There's plenty of time for that, my dear. It's just as likely as not one of these days. <laughs> but however and whenever we part from one another, I'm sure we shall none of us forget poor tiny Tim. Shall we? All this first parting that there was amongst us. Never, father. And I know, my dears, that when we recollect how patient and how mild he was, although he was a little, little child, we shall not quarrel amongst ourselves and, and forget poor tiny Tim in doing it. No, never, Father. Never. <sighs> then I can be very happy. Very, very, very happy indeed. Spectre. <laughs> I see now the tenderness in this family for their poor dead child. But I still see none for the man lying dead and alone. I am of a stronger constitution now. Tell me who it was. Again, I beseech you, spirit. Oh! Where are we? Spirit, you convey me to different places, but... But are they also different times? Are your choices random? Why have I not seen myself as I will be in the future? Are you... Wait, this court. This is where my place of occupation is, and has been for a great length of time. At last, let me behold what I will be in days to come. Come, Ebenezer Scrooge. Spirit, my office is here, and my house is yonder. Why do you point away? I want to look in my window. What am I here? 
Yeah, I'm confused. This looks like my office. I'm certain it is, but but the furniture's not mine, and and that's not me at the desk. I must be at my house. Scrooge. Why do you point away, spirit? My house is in this direction. Follow me. Spirit, do you not understand? What could you wish me to see here? I do not know this place. In. This churchyard, yes. I've walked past it on many days. But what business do we have here? Come. Look upon the gravestone. The gravestone? But, but, but why? Ah. Is this the final resting place of a man lying dead? You want me to see his name that I might learn from his example? Is it someone I know? Is it someone to whom I might speak as Jacob Marley spoke to me? Perhaps it is... It is... Spirit, I, I fear that I see new meaning in your solemn shape. I have been blind, yes, and now I believe I understand why I have not seen myself. Or have I? Spirit, say that the man lying dead, alone in that room, say that it wasn't... Ebenezer Scrooge. Before I draw nearer, before I see the name on that stone, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of the things that will be, or are they the shadows of the things that may be only? Ebenezer Scrooge, men's courses foreshadow certain ends, to which, if persevering, they must. Yes, I know, I understand. But if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. Look upon the stars. Yes, yes, I will look. I can bear it no longer. Stand aside and let me see it. Ebenezer No, spirit, no, no, no. Say I am not dead. Spirit, say I am not dead. Why show me the name on that stone if I cannot be changed? Why show me anything at all? If the shadows of the future cannot be altered, they must be altered. They can be changed. Spirit, hear me. I'm not the man I was. Why show me this if I am past all hope? Oh, spirit, tell me I may sponge away the writing on that stone. Tell me, spirit. <laughs> What? What? Uh, what is it? Where am I? My bed. My blankets. So the bed curtains are still here. They are not torn down. They're here. I am here. I'm not dead. I'm alive. It's true, it's true. The shadows of the things that would have been may be dispelled. <laughs> they will be. They will be. Oh, Jacob Marley, do you hear me? Oh, heaven be praised for this. I say it on my knees, old Jacob, on my knees. I will honour Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past 
present and future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons they teach. I do seek in my heart the babe born in Bethlehem. And repent. I repent. <laughs> do you hear me? I repent. <laughs> what? Uh, who, who is it? Cleaning lady with your breakfast, sir. Is it? My breakfast? It's not possible. <laughs> Morning, sir. Is it you, Mrs. Dilber? Is it really you? Sir? This is amazing. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what day it is. <laughs> day, sir? It's Christmas Day. Christmas Day? It's Christmas Day. <laughs> I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. They can do anything they like. Of course they can. I don't understand you, sir. I'm delirious, Mrs. Dilber. I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel, as merry as a, a schoolboy. <laughs> a merry Christmas to everyone. Hey, can you hear me? Mr. Scrooge! <laughs> Oh, look, look, there's the chair where I ate my gruel, and the door by which the ghost of Jacob Marley entered. And there's the corner where the ghost of Christmas presents sat. Oh, it, it's all right. It's true. It's true. It all happened. Oh, oh, oh. I don't know how long I was with the spirits. Was it one night? I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything anymore. I'm like a baby. <laughs> yeah, I am a baby. Dance with me, Mrs. Dilber. What? Have you lost your mind? Yes, completely. Let's dance. Don't you lay a hand on me, Mr. Scrooge, or I'll be forced to call for the police. Yes, yes, call the police, Mrs. Dilber. Call the entire world. I think I'll be going there. No, no, no wait, 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 wait. Uh, no, stay. Stay, stay and talk to me. Under the circumstances, I don't what think... Ah, the circumstances, Mrs. Dilbar. Tell me about your circumstances. How much am I paying you? What? Uh, four shillings a week. Four shillings? It is now raised to ten. Ten? Oh, he has lost his mind. Stay right where you are while I fetch a doctor. No, 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 I don't, I don't need a doctor or an undertaker. I need only for you to go and enjoy your Christmas. Here, here, here. Here's a little something with which to help you. Half a crown? Yes. Merry Christmas, Mrs. Dilber. Mr. Scrooge. Yes. Now go. Go. Yes, sir. And a Happy New Year, if it ain't inappropriate to say so. Yes, Happy New Year. <laughs> It'll be a Happy New Year indeed. Church bells. <laughs> oh, they're glorious, glorious. Oh, oh. No fog, no mist, oh, golden sunlight, sweet, heavenly sky. 
Oh, those bells. Those glorious bells. Oi! You, boy! What? Hello, my fine fella. Do you know the poulterers in the next street but one at the corner? Should I so? He's <laughs> an intelligent boy, a remarkable boy. Now, do you know whether they've sold the turkey that was hanging in the window? Not, not the prize turkey, the big one. Yes, my buck. What a delightful boy. It's hanging there now. Is it? Now, I want you to go and buy it. Walker. No, 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 no. I'm in earnest. Go and buy it and get them to bring it here. I'll tell them where to deliver it. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. Yes, sir. <laughs> oh. A splendid boy. It was a pleasure to talk to him. <laughs> I'll send the turkey to Bob Cratchit's. He won't know who sent it, and he'll never guess. <laughs> it's twice the size of Tiny Tim. It'll be impossible for them to carry it all the way to Camden Town. I'll have it transported in a cab. Yes, they must have a cab. <laughs> oh, I'm shaved and get dressed for church. The day is wasting away, and I will not have wasted days ever again. Look at the size of it. I've never seen such a large turkey. Is it really ours? Robert? Wait a minute. It's addressed to us. There's no mistake about that. The note is unsigned. Well, then, then, then who on earth could have sent it? What? I can't imagine. Oh, I huh? think I know. Oh? Mr Scrooge. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh, my dear Tim, whatever would make you think that he'd send a turkey to us? Why would he do it? Because it's Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Vicar, for those inspiring words. Oh, yes. Well, thank you for joining us, Mr. Scrooge. Merry Christmas <laughs> Merry to you. Christmas. Merry Christmas to you all. <laughs> oh. oh, oh, I do beg your pardon. Mr. Scrooge, is it you? Yes, that is my name. Though I fear it may not be a pleasant one to you. After our encounter at my place of business yesterday... I hope you succeeded in raising the funds for the poor, as you'd hoped. To be quite honest, Mr. Scrooge, we did not. Oh, then allow me to beg your pardon and to ask you if you would have the goodness to take on my behalf uh, the sum of... Lord, bless me! My dear Mr. Scrooge, are you serious? If you please, and not a farthing less. <laughs> a great many back payments are included in it, I assure you. Will you do me that favour? Oh, oh, my dear sir, I don't know what to say to such a generous... No, no, don't, don't say anything, please. Come and see me at my place of business. Oh, will you come and see me? We will. Oh, thank you. I'm much obliged to you. I thank you 50 times. Bless you. Bless you. Too, Mr. Happy, Christmas. Christmas. Happy Christmas to you, sir. Yes, sir? Is your master at home, my dear? 
Yes, sir. He's in the parlour, sir, along with the mistress. I'll show you, if you please. Oh, thank you. I'll, I'll go myself. Through those doors, sir. Thank you. Delightful girl. Oh. Go on, then. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. Fred? Look, Fred. Why, bless my soul. Uncle Ebenezer. Yes, Fred. I, I've decided to accept your kind invitation to dinner. Will you allow me to come in? Well, yes. Yes, come in. Do you see who it is, Alice? This is my uncle. Yes. Yes, I see. Alice, my dear, you've made my nephew so very, very happy which is more than I've ever done. Can you forgive an old fool for having no eyes to see or ears to hear and for the lost years and affection which he now hopes to make up in the years to come? Oh, yes, dear uncle. Yes. Bless you for asking. <sighs> well, do come in and make yourself at home, uncle. Join us for dinner, uh, and then we'll have the most wonderful party and games and happiness. God bless you, my dear nephew. God bless you both. Oh, oh Uncle, come and sit down. Come and sit by the fire. It might be enough to say that Ebenezer Scrooge did make himself at home and enjoyed his nephew's Christmas party as he had enjoyed no party before it. We might end our story there, but we can't, for Scrooge awakened very early the next morning to arrive at the office first thing. It was his intention to catch Bob Cratchit coming in late. That was the thing he had set his heart upon, and he did. The clock struck nine, no Bob. A quarter past, no Bob. He was, in fact, a full eighteen minutes and a half behind his time. Bob's hat was off even before he opened the door, his scarf as well. He was on his stool in a jiffy, driving away with his pen as if he were trying to overtake nine o'clock. Hello there, Mr. Cratchit. What do you mean by coming here at this time of day? I'm very sorry, sir. I, I am behind my time. You are, yes. I think you are. Step this way, if you please. It's only once a year, sir. It shall not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. I'm sure you were. Now, I'll tell you what, my friend. I'm not going to stand for this sort of thing any longer. I'm very sorry, Mr. Scrooge. And therefore, I'm about to raise your salary. <laughs> but, 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 sir... Sir? A Merry Christmas, Bob! A merry Christmas, my good fellow, than I've given you for many a year. In any year, I dare say. Mr. Scrooge, are you quite yourself, sir? No, I'm not, thank God. Nor will I ever be again. I'm going to raise your salary, Bob, and endeavour to assist you with your struggling family. Oh, thank you, sir. We will discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a hot bowl of punch. Eh, Bob? Yes, Mr. Scrooge. <laughs> now, you make up the fires and go out and buy another coal scuttle before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit. <laughs> oh, yes, sir. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> yes, Mr. Scrooge. Right, sir. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a Christian, as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well the entire year round, if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that truly be said of us all. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol was not only an instant and enduring bestseller and helped to effect substantial changes in Britain's child labour laws, but single-handedly revived the celebration of Christmas wherever it was read. Scrooge, Tiny Tim, Bob Cratchit, Old Fezziwig, and the book's cast of memorable characters became so much a part of Christmas tradition that even for us it's difficult to imagine the season without them. But more important, A Christmas Carol brings with it the timeless message of redemption found in the child born in a poor Bethlehem manger. Only in him, Dickens said, can we hope to see our hearts and our world changed. In 1870, after the newspapers reported Dickens' death, the story goes that a little girl in Drury Lane asked, Dickens dead? Then will Father Christmas die too? Such was the impact Charles Dickens had on the world with his little Christmas carol. I'm David Suchet for Focus on the Family Radio Theatre. Thank you for listening. Focus on the Family Radio Theatre is a production of Focus on the Family. Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol was adapted for radio and directed by Paul McCusker. Sound was recorded and designed by Dave Arnold. Original music by James Gabriel and John Campbell. Our cast included Tenniel Evans as Ebenezer Scrooge and the multiple voice talents of Timothy Bateson, Robert Benfield, Richard Brightiff, Justin Butcher, Jane Gambia, Katie Glassborough, Peter Goodright, Michael Hockey, Catherine Kelgren, Polly March, Tom Mount, Myra Sands, Philip Sherlock, Mervyn Stutter, Richard Sims and Matthew Point. Again, this has been a Radio Wave special of the Focus on the Family radio theater production of Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol. You will be in our prayers, especially those who support Medj.com and Radio Wave. And on behalf of a friend of Medjugorje, Caritas of Birmingham, the community of Caritas, Medj.com, and Radio Wave, we wish you Our Lady and a very Merry Christmas.